This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 32 teams entered the season with the hope of being crowned champions. Now, only two cities remain. Who will take home the coveted Lombardi Trophy? It's time for Big Game Breakdowns with Baldy and La Confora, an Odyssey exclusive. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Baldy's Big Game Breakdowns. Uh, we come to you as always courtesy of our friends at Odyssey. I'm Jason Lockett-Fora, and I'm normally joined by Brian Baldinger. Baldy is traveling today, however, so we, we are lucky enough, honored enough, to have maybe the only other person on the planet who knows the Jersey Shore beaches <laughs> as well as Baldy, who would know his way around Philly as well as Baldy, um, and and who certainly spends as much time breaking down the game as Baldy. It's it's uh, Odyssey NFL insider Michael Lombardi. Michael, thank you uh, for for filling in here, and I'm I'm fired up to talk some ball with you. Yeah, you know it's a it's tough to to fill in for Baldy. There's no one better than yes. Baldy, and he can span the globe. Whether it's uh, you know Bruce Springsteen in Europe, who we shared a, a yes. concert with together one time. To uh, to Bob Dylan. I mean, the man is truly a Renaissance man, and and I I, I wish he were here. I love talking to him about football. So I'm glad to be here, Jason. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, you've you've got huge flip flops to to, yeah, to fill no there, Mike. So I'm sure you're up. I'm sure you're up to the challenge. Well, um, you and I have spent many a time talking about this league, and and for for those listening, Mike and I are going to kind of go around the league here with some of the issues going on in the NFL right now. We're obviously seeing a hiring cycle. Um, still not quite wrapped up in terms of assistants and coordinators and the like. And then I'll also uh, transition to talking a little bit more about some of my thoughts about these franchises in the game in the second half of the pod. But Mike, um, you know, a lot of the guys in, in Houston there, there's some like Nick Casario who have long new England ties. This is the second straight year. They've hired a head coach who I don't think they thought they were going to hire when this process started. I think it begs questions about Josh McCowan, re-emerging maybe next year or the year after because there's clearly an attraction there but for now somehow they end up with lovey smith who if they really like lovey smith running the defense you could have kept him there and kept david cully and, and saved your owner you know 20 odd million dollars yeah you know I, what i find fascinating is not that they have a love affair for josh mccown who's a tremendous guy and and certainly yep. a, a player that fits the description of what we're seeing in the nfl as head coaches now ex-quarterbacks who were never really the star quarterbacks are now becoming 
you know, mm-hmm. quarterbacks in the league. You know, you know, when just look at in the Super Bowl, you know, Sean McVay wasn't a, a star quarterback, but he played quarterback, you know. And, and I and I think that, that that kind of transitions itself to where Josh is in his career and Zach Taylor's the same thing in Nebraska, you know, and went on. But I, I, I to me what I have a question mark about is why don't they just hire Josh McCown as the quarterback coach? Why didn't they hire him in that job last year? Yep. Groom him to become the head coach. Why are we just going to give him a job that's harder to get the United States senator without having to really go through any of the learning experiences without the job? So for me, that's something that I think uh, remains to be seen. I'm confused. I agree with you. I don't think when they fired Cully or when they hired Cully, they thought this is where they were going to end up. And And we now look at a scenario where – I don't want to say they're punting on 2022, but clearly this isn't all results oriented. They, they're, they're, they're looking at a bigger picture here, and this is part of a bigger rebuild. But are you like me already wondering, and, and you hate to do this, but like come Thanksgiving of next year, come Christmas of next year, are we talking about, hey, the Houston Texans are having internal discussions about launching another head coaching search? Because I have a hard time thinking it's not. I, I can't imagine that they could do that again. I mean, you get you get one shot at a one year guy and move him on. Look, I, why are they su- why are they surprised that Cully wasn't ready to be a head coach? He'd never been a coordinator before. So to me, what that what they were saying by firing Cully is they weren't willing to develop or grow with Cully. They can't say that about Lovey. Lovey's been an experienced head coach. He won in Chicago. He took a team to a Super Bowl. He didn't have as much success at Tampa or at at, in, at Illinois, but he understands his way around. And I think if you watch his team play from game one to game 17 of the season, they played hard. They're not good enough. I mean, that's clear. But the players played hard. They respected him. And he is a true head coach. And now they keep Pep Hamilton as their offensive coordinator, if you will. They can develop Davis Mills, and maybe they can get a boatload of draft picks, i.e. the Herschel Walker deal for uh, for Deshaun Watson. Any of these head coaching hires outside of the Lovey thing, because nobody saw that coming. Lovey didn't see that coming. Any of these hires have you scratching your head the most or or, or that you, you really didn't see coming? Well, I mean, I, I, after Matt Eberflus's team walked off the field against Jacksonville, yeah. unable to stop Trevor Lawrence and that high-powered Jacksonville attack, I was a little surprised <laughs> he became in such demand, you know, uh-huh. especially considering the end of the season when they couldn't stop the Raiders and they couldn't stop Jacksonville. But look, Eberflus and his agent, Trace Armstrong, are well-connected in the league, and Trace did a great job. He had an inside track there. You know, he had yes. Tony Dungy, he had Bill Poley, and certainly Rod Marinelli was echoing for him. But I don't think you can say anything surprises you in the NFL anymore because, uh, you know, this is it's not the league of it's a selection. It's not a selecting process. It's an electing process. And if you can carry enough votes to the election day, you can win. And so, you know, I, I think one job that I thought I really believed, I don't know if you heard this, but I really thought it was Dan Quinn's job in Denver. And I yes, think that you got to give. George yeah. Payton, a lot of credit, because I think he started with the idea that maybe this is Dan Quinn's job. And through the interview process, he got turned around and hired Nathaniel Hackett, which to me is the greatest way to do it. So, you know, nothing really in the league. I think in the hiring of the league, nothing surprises me. And once again, I don't think it really matters, you know, how many how many years you've been in the league. I mean, you know, Bill Belichick had to wait 11 years to get his first head coaching interview. You know, Bill Walsh couldn't get one. I mean, Bill Walsh literally left the Cincinnati Bengals after he didn't become the head coach, had to go to the Chargers and then had to take a job at Stanford. 
mean, the climate's completely right. different. Um, one of the big rumblings uh, about a week ago, it didn't come to fruition and it was never imminent, although some reported it that way. But you obviously know Jim Harbaugh pretty well, and he ultimately decided to stay at Ann Arbor. The Michigan, I mean, the Michigan, the Minnesota thing, I didn't quite get, Mike, because when you talk to people who had interviewed there for the GM and the head coaching search, you got the sense that they were looking to get sort of away from a Mike Zimmer, right? And they were trying to find two young guys at similar points in their career who could grow together because they're in transition there. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh, you hire Jim Harbaugh, you're getting a very different dynamic than a first-time GM and a first-time head coach. Yeah, I think I think Jim went into this thing wanting to explore the possibilities. I think he realizes that at Michigan, he is really in a good position because when you're a head football coach in college, you're the owner, you're the general manager, you're the director of player personnel. You, nobody tells you what to do. You run your whole program. There's no analytical department coming in telling you, I think you should have thrown the ball on third down. Right. Like, no, that ain't happening, right? So you're running your team. You know, where in the NFL, you got to sit there and nod your head, yes, yes, yes. So I think he went in there with a, a Diet Coke in his hand and a dip in his mouth and said, Here's who I am. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, I'm out. I'll go back to Michigan. And he went back to Michigan. I think he was playing with house money. I think certainly the success he had in the NFL will lead him to want to think about that. But once he crossed over and saw how politically collaborative these teams and head coaching jobs have become, I think he realized he had a better chance to stay at Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. I always kind of wondered if that was actually going to be a fit in the end. Um, How about your thoughts on the Miami Dolphins hiring Mike McDaniel, who has been looked at as a rising star in this league for a while. And he had Kyle's stamp of approval, obviously Kyle Shanahan, which goes a long way. And someone who's, who's overcome, you know, some personal demons and, and grown as a person along the way to reach this point where he's now um, an NFL head coach. You know, when Kyle came to Cleveland and I was just there for the little brief time, uh, when I interviewed Kyle and he was extremely high on Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel was experiencing some issues in Washington and those kind of festered themselves when he came to Cleveland. But I think he cleaned up his act in Atlanta. He admitted that as such. And so obviously he's a guy that's going to have to prove that he can lead through his intellect. He's going to have to prove that he can motivate and get players excited. It is a leadership position. It isn't always about X's and O's and, you know, you're not playing Nintendo in the basement. So he's got to really right. show that he can do that. And I think with his intellectual capacity, he can stimulate the players. Look, you know, working for Kyle, I think, you know, a system on what you want to become. And I think they've got to tell that system around what Tua can do. And and obviously the front office, Chris Greer and the owner, Stephen Ross truly believe that Tua is the answer. They truly believe they picked the right player. That remains to be seen. I don't necessarily agree with that, but this hire is symbolic to saying this is what they believe. Do you think he'll be able to connect with all 90, all 53? And I'll be fascinated to see what that defensive staff looks like. Um, well, the, staff like, stay, say, the defensive staff staying the yeah. same. He had He's taken yeah. on Josh Boyer and most of those defensive coaches that were on that staff. I, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating to me observation because here's what I would say. Brian Flores entering year three is a better coach than Mike McDaniel entering year one. Yeah. So did they improve their team? Now, Mike McDaniel in year three might be better than Brian Flores in year three. That may be proved to be Mm -hmm. true. I think you've got to give Mike McDaniel some time to see what he develops in as a coach. But to me, I I think that's one of those areas where I'm not sure they've actually improved currently. Right. Right. 
Um, you and I have talked over the years in various iterations about um, what we saw in Josh McDaniels, and you know him better than I do. But I've long thought that whenever there was the right fit for him with an owner, with a franchise, and that second opportunity to be a head coach, that he would um, he'd run through walls to to show people uh, who he is now and and what he can be. The Raiders, obviously, Mark Davis, you know him well. He's not going to really meddle, right? He's going to give mm-hmm. Josh all the resources he wants. I, I really feel like um, he might be the guy to awaken that sleeping that sleeping giant of a franchise. You know, I think Josh waited a long time, and certainly he. I thought the opportunity in Indianapolis was good for him, and he walked away at the last moment. But this might be the best opportunity because he's got an old-school owner. He's got an owner who's – not going to meddle, who doesn't have kids that want to get involved in the team, right. doesn't have an analytical department that he wants to run the team through. And this is truly an old nuts and bolts football team. And Mark Davis is going to give Josh McDaniel and Dave Ziegler enough rope to rebuild this franchise, to give him an infrastructure, something I didn't think Gruden ever did. You know, Gruden called plays, but he never built an organization. I think Mark Davis realized he needs an organization to take these things on. You just don't win with just running good offensive plays. So I'm excited for Josh. I'm excited for his opportunity. I'm like you. I think he's going to be a really good coach. I think he learned. I think anybody who says he was a failure in Denver just doesn't understand that smart people learn from their mistakes. Yeah. What do you think this means for Derek Carr? I think they extend Carr a year out and they give themselves two years. Look, they have Carr under contract for one more year and they could franchise him. So I think it would be smart to go to Carr and say, look, let's try this for two more years and see where we are. After two years, we'll have a better idea. You like me. I like you. You don't like me. I don't like you, whatever mm-hmm. it is. But let's let's not give it a game to game basis. Let's give it 24. Let's give it 32 games to really see where we are. I think that would be a smart play. I mean, he's economically friendly. And look, the reality of it is there's so many teams in line to get a quarterback that you just can't throw him overboard. Who's replacing him? You know, I mean, who's coming in to replace him? So, you know, we know this Mariota and Mitchell Trubisky are going to be the hot commodities in free agency. And no one's convinced they can be starters. Right. Right. I know you have to run in a couple minutes, Mike, but I would be remiss not to get um, your thoughts on the, the, the dichotomy between these last two teams standing in their team building philosophies. And here we have the Cincinnati Bengals with a ton of young blue chip players, not even in their prime yet signed for the long term. And we have a Rams team that's gone all in with big present day contracts on some guys, you know, 30 ish um, kind of a star culture versus a, a young rebuild coming to fruition. Um, any sense that of any prevailing trends here? Um, do, could you see more teams adopting what what the Rams have done? Well, I, no, I don't. I think the, the you know the Rams under the old George Allen philosophy, you know, the future is now. I can't imagine that. I mean, this is going to crash and burn at some point, just based on the cap. But if they win a title, it's all worth it, correct? Yeah. You know, if they fall, if they don't don't win that game in Tampa, and this thing burns out, it would be a disaster. The margin for error is so small. As for Cincinnati, I think what they proved to me, and I would have taken Sewell over Chase because I think their offensive line is a disaster. But the way this great quarterback's been able to play in spite of getting hit numerous times, they've been able to overcome that. And the weapon that they got on the outside has certainly made a huge difference. So I'm happy for Mike Brown. I think Mike Brown is the son of one of the is the son of the greatest coach of all time. And I'm hoping this week we highlight what Paul Brown has done for the NFL. I'm working writing this book on the NFL, on the Hall of Fame and coaching and players. And I think what Paul Brown did for coaches is he was the operating system to the computer. He was the guy that basically 
you know, is the reason why coaches have a job, why they're making eight, nine, 10, 12 million dollars a year. He gave them the operating system. He was the Bill Gates to the computer. And I think we should honor that. No, it's incredibly well said. Any any prediction on this one? I think it's I, I think the the lucky charm's gotta run out for the Bengals. I really do. I, I just think the way the Rams have played defense, uh that eighteen percent on third down, Stafford's averaging nine yards per attempt. You know, I think they can throw the ball. I think if the referees call the game like they did the second half of the Kansas City game mm. and allow the Bengals to get their hands and reroute and jam, I think it's a closer game. If they call it like they should, like a normal regular season game, if you watch that Kansas City game and you said to yourself, okay, this is how I'm going to play Kansas City next year and Patrick Mahomes, you're going to get 12 penalties called on you in the first quarter. You're not going to get away with it. But in this game, they did. So I think they'll, they have to kind of enforce that. I mean, think about this, Jason. The, the, the Bengals can't block anybody, and yet and yet they, they didn't have a holding call in two games. I mean, how is that even yeah. possible? So my sense of it is is I think it's a Rams game. It's the Rams' time. Well, I appreciate your time here on Baldy's Big Game Breakdowns. Uh, Mike, it's always great to catch up with you, and uh, I am sure we will chat down the road. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate you. Thank you. Um, yeah, a lot of great points that Mike raised there, some, some of which um, – I definitely want to to follow up on um, in, in terms of team building and Mike would know he's, he's put together a lot of teams in a lot of different ways. Um, I, I echo what he said. I, I can't imagine that this now becomes a league where you're, you're, you're doubling down on 30 something guys towards the end of their career and, and playing kind of fast and loose and, and high stakes poker with the salary cap in order to build something sustainable. I, I think the Rams, I applaud them for what they did to get out of that Jared Goff contract and for being willing to admit a mistake, a big mistake on that extension as quickly as they did, which allowed them in a climate last year where there was some quarterback movement. Remember the Aaron Rodgers thing was really starting to heat up around this time a year ago too. And to get one of um, the better quarterbacks in the league and to be willing to pay the price they paid I get all that for where they were, the circumstances they were in. But I think the real takeaway from that will be, boy, I'd much rather be um, rebuilding in the way that the Bengals have uh, than I would taking a chance that it's all or nothing to the degree um, that that the Rams have. And and I had someone ask me uh, earlier today, well, who do you think is the closest team to the Bengals? I don't know. You know, I, I can't think of another franchise that, I mean, we did an exercise on my radio show and we're going through rosters. I mean, I had the Bengals, if you include the kicker with 12 blue chip players on a 53 man roster. Um, none of them making monster money just yet. Um, all of them at Knockwood at this point, still healthy um, with one more game to play to go into an off season completely healthy with the quarterback still a year away from being able to make any real money. Um, I don't know that anybody has an infrastructure quite like that. They're, they're not reliant on 32, 33 year old players really to any degree at all. I mean, we'll, we'll see what the future holds with the Jesse Bates. Um, but as Mike just mentioned, the issues with their offensive line and continuing to win, you could make a, you could draw a scenario where, the Cincinnati Bengals draft nothing but offensive and defensive linemen in this upcoming draft. Like, if anybody's a baseball fan out there, 
you know, the, the angels, right? The Anaheim, Los Angeles An- angels of Anaheim, whatever the heck they call them these days. They can't develop. They've had incredible issues developing starting pitchers, right? They can't, they can't, they don't draft them right. They don't develop them right. They drafted nothing but arms, um, which whether that's a luxury they could afford or not is a conversation for a different podcast. But the Bengals are certainly far uh, more advanced as an organization than the Angels are. They're certainly far more on the cusp of um, winning it all and sustaining excellence than the Angels are. And if they drafted seven or eight, offensive and defensive linemen, even if they don't have a great year, they've, they've found a couple of more young, cheap starters to plug that hole. I mean, I honestly feel like all things being equal, continue to double down on a couple of those issues because is Larry Ogunjobi going to be the same after injury, whatever. And I said, there's not many guys over 30 and there's not. Um, but I really feel like the, 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 the Bengals process has borne so much fruit so quickly that it's afforded them now luxuries to get a little cute, if you would, or, or outside the box, if you will, uh, to, to address a few potential sort of fundamental flaws. And we, Baldy and I talked about it all through the season. Mike mentioned it there. Like the idea that you're going to be able to keep winning games of this magnitude with your quarterback under that much duress Um at some point, that's going to end. Me personally, I'm not sure that it ends in this game because as Baldy and I talked about yesterday, I would not be surprised if this is a laissez-faire approach to um, how this game's being called. That, you know, when the league sits back and they watch this and they evaluate the officials and they watch the film, we can debate whether there should have been more holding calls, whether there should have been more um, uh, defensive holding on corners and safeties with how they played the Chiefs receivers. And obviously Chris Jones had a job done on him a time or two that didn't go flagged in that Bengals Chiefs game. But I don't think the league minds that. I think the league is real happy with the outcome of that game, real happy with the ratings that game drew. And so I, I don't think we're now going to see anything close to ticky-tack. I don't think we're going to see a major recalibration in how this thing is officiated, which might be bad news for for Von Miller and and Aaron Donald, um, and and you know that that Rams defense on the whole. I mean, you look at some of these crews, Sean Hockley, some of these overly officious crews. I, I think the league's reached a point in the season where when they put this all star crew together, I think they know what they're looking for, and and I don't think um, we're we're going to see a game where. Uh, it's a flag here. It's a flag there. I think they're going to quote unquote, let them play. And me personally, um, I think that could, could end up playing to the Bengals advantage um, as it has to this point uh, in, in the process. Um, you know, I, I, I just feel like also at, at, at this moment in time, I need to kind of say my piece on uh this hiring cycle and where the league stands right now, as, as we've had almost a third of the league turnover in the span of, I guess, five or six weeks or, or what have you, maybe longer, I guess, because John Gruden was officially out in October, but regardless, we've had uh, uh, almost a third of the league spending, you know, over a month to try to find their next head coach. And, and, you know, Mike talked about the inefficiencies in that process and how sometimes the results are known before the process begins, or sometimes things get so sort of off kilter that these teams and owners end up in a place they never could have seen themselves. But the idea that this can continue to be built from the ground up and that it's about identifying better candidates quickly, or it's about, um, 
promoting from within and it's about expanding the Rooney rule, things that I would call the carrot, right? And it's incentivizing someone to do the right thing. That's not working, you know? And, and yes, Houston ended up going from, from one black head coach to another, but why was that first black coach fired in the first place? And, and, you know, did they end up in that point because Brian Flores, one of their candidates is suing the league for discrimination in this very moment in time. You know, I, I think if you take a step back from this process, and I know that Roger Goodell had an audience on Monday um, with some civil rights leaders, and, and and the sense I get from from my reporting on that and talking to others is that the the directive coming from outside the league was the way you're doing it internally isn't really working. It's 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 not indicative of the merits of these many men who aren't really getting um, the opportunity to show they can do these jobs or many of the, the African-American men out there who have already done the job, who've been a head coach um, with some degree of success and they can't get a second bite at the apple. And and so my larger point thinking about this over the weekend, and I wrote a column about it uh, Monday morning was that I think change may have to come from the outside. And change may have to come from the top down in terms of more African-American team presidents and owners. And I think change may have to come in regards to the stick and not the carrot. And by that, I mean teams that habitually, repeatedly go through multiple hiring cycles over X number of years in which it does not produce um, a more diversified pool of leaders in that franchise, presidents, GMs, coaches, then those teams suffer ramifications. Um, much like you'd see for tampering or, or these deflate gates, you you get fined, you, you lose draft picks. Like it, it seems extreme and it probably is extreme. But I think if you look at the data over the 20 years of the Rooney rule, we're at an extreme moment in time where the spirit of the Rooney rule isn't being matched by the results of these hires that incorporate new and expanded Rooney rule practices. And is there any reasonable reason to look at this and say, well, next year it's going to head in the right direction. If we add, you have to interview three people of color or four. I, I, I think a lot of like-minded people are looking at that from inside and outside the game and saying, I, I don't know that you can bank on that, but maybe we can change the way owners think by not just incentivizing them to be uh, more inclusive, but by penalizing them if they refuse over a period of hiring cycles. Um, to diversify uh, the leadership of their organization. So it's just food for thought. And obviously this situation um, with the Brian Flores lawsuit is not going to go away during this Super Bowl week. It will be something that is, you know, will be continued to be talked about. And again, we still have some of these organizations that haven't finalized their full coaching staff in terms of coordinators uh, and some position coaches. And, you know, it's something that Baldy and I am sure will continue to talk about through the off season. Cause I can assure you, there will be more proposals between now and the league meetings at the end of March about changing the Rooney rule, about trying to uh, address these issues of diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think you're going to continue to see increasingly uh, political power um, and public pressure from entities outside the league to, to try to get this headed in a direction that I, I think everyone would agree would be better for all involved. Well, I look forward to catching up with Baldy um, right around this same time tomorrow. He will be set up in LA. We will continue to dig deeper um, on some of the key matchups, um, 
you know, where he sees uh, certain areas that either team could exploit. What are the weak spots? What are some of the X factors? We will start drilling deep on this game as we now head towards the middle of this Super Bowl week. I thank you guys as always for listening to Baldy's breakdowns, or in this case, uh, Baldy's big game breakdowns. Again, we will be here um, all the way up through Saturday doing this live on a daily basis and continuing to give you guys um, as much football content as we can provide both about the Super Bowl and about some of the uh, major issues going on in this league. As again, this has been a hiring cycle unlike any other I can remember uh, in terms of the scope, the number of hires, how long it's taken to fill uh, these jobs, and ultimately um, the, the lack of uh, of new voices and diverse voices allowed to uh, to ultimately get these jobs. So we thank you for listening, and we will check back in with you tomorrow on Baldy's Breakdowns. This has been a production of Big Game Breakdowns with Baldy and La Confora, an Odyssey exclusive. 